So welcome to another episode of the Michael Calderon Show with co-host Vanessa Reyes. Vanessa, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Michael. How are you doing? Great. You know, we had a great show last week. And um, just the two of us. Yes, it was just the two of us as we as we reconvened from pandemic times with yes. a newer platform. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally newer platform. So for those listeners that don't know, we did move away from blog talk radio. And now we're on anchor, which puts it out on Spotify and Apple iTunes and some other platforms. So um, it gives you a lot more opportunities to actually listen to the show. And, uh, and I'm excited about about this evening's show as well. So am I this is going to be Oh, like I was saying, an hour is not going to be enough. Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So we have we have Joe Sanchez, who's joining us from here in Florida, though he's in a different part of Florida than we're at. We're in South Florida. So mm -hmm. Joe Sanchez is in a different part of Florida. And then we also have Joe Murray, who is joining us from New York. So um, I'm going to do is I'm going to I want to bring uh, Joe Murray on first to kind of kind of set the foundation and the tone, if you will. Um, and uh, we're going to connect him now. Um, Joe Murray, how are you? Good, good. How are you, Mike? Good to see you and Vanessa. Nice seeing you, Joe. Yeah. yeah. And thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, we, we had a great chat uh, last week. Joe. Um, yeah, it was. And I, I wanted to I wanted to kind of talk about your story for a moment because you know we're we're looking at kind of uh, I guess as a topic we could talk about injustices, right? So uh, on a nationwide basis, on a national basis, the forum right now is looking at police reform, changes in police departments you know, calls for defunding police departments, which uh, obviously that's that's a, a, a bit of a stretch. But mm. but certainly there is a need. I think we can all agree for a realignment in police departments from training, from procedures, protocols, et cetera. But what the stories that people have not heard of are stories of injustices done to members of the police departments by their own departments. And, and, and I'm not talking about injustices done to people that were committing crimes or fit the criteria for being a criminal. I'm talking about guys who were good cops doing their jobs and became the target of their department for, for a variety of reasons. And, and, you know, the public, the public sees the injustice that's done to citizens, but they don't get to see the injustices done from within. Kind of like Joe Sanchez's book, you know, yeah. True Blue, a, 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 you know, a tale of, of, you know, the enemy within, you know. Um, so so let, let's talk about your story for a moment, Joe, because you were also... Sure. Uh, a previous uh, member of the service of the NYPD, and sure. uh, and you became an attorney. So tell yeah, us, tell us uh, about you know, that story. 
It's a good point that you bring up. I, I bet you if you talk to most police officers, it's not the work that we do that uh, police officers just don't like. It's the administration. It's the politics. It's the nonsense that goes on uh, preventing us from doing what we took this job to do. And that administration, uh, particularly like internal affairs and, and the way they conduct themselves, it's really inappropriate. And uh, it turns a lot of people off uh, to the job. The actual job of answering radio runs and, and responding to help people, that's what we do. It's the calling to go out there and perform public service. And most cops love that part of the job. It's the other part that really is the problem and needs to be brought to light. Uh, my situation came about, I was, I joined the police department in 1987. I was 20 years old at that time. You only needed a GED or a high school diploma. And uh, my father was a police officer. I graduated high school. I went to work out in the airport, uh, got my CDL license. I was a truck driver. I also bounced at a bar. But when I took the test, uh, I did just, you know, pretty much like a lot of people in my family. I getting that civil service job and, and uh, being a police officer was something I always held in high regard. You know, my father and family members, uncles. So I took the test, I got on the job. I absolutely loved it. I was having so much fun. Uh, I loved being a cop and doing, you know, the, I was on another show earlier this week and there was that guy, uh, Sean Conabar, who was in the subway when that woman was being attacked. And he sprung into action, a citizen, a private citizen sprung into action, knocked the guy down, got the knife away from uh, her without her being hurt that much because she was stabbed or slashed a couple of times. But he really saved her life. And I was talking to him about that. I was like, you know, Mike, uh, Sean, when I took the job, crime was really bad in New York City. And this is the kind of stuff we did every day on patrol. And I couldn't believe I would sit there sometimes and say, I can't believe they're actually paying me to do this, to be like a superhero, to be out there, you know, saving people who are victims like this. So that police aspect of it, and I'm sure Joe is going to go into this, that satisfaction you get from helping somebody, it's just so rewarding. And it's something that we feed off of and that drives us to, to move forward. So I love doing the job. I was having so much fun. Uh, I was in Midtown North, Midtown Manhattan. Then I went to the Seventh Precinct, the Manhattan South Task Force. I really enjoyed what I was doing. I found my calling. I was also a member of the police boxing team. And we competed nationally, internationally, went to England, Ireland, all over the country. And uh, it was just such a wonderful experience. And it kept me in great shape to do the job that we were doing, which is a physical job. Right. Um, unfortunately, one day I got a phone call from a high school friend of mine. He said that his brother was arrested in Nassau County by three New York City detectives. He went to his house, they handcuffed him, they smacked him around, they brought him back to the 10th precinct, they gave him a desk appearance ticket and they cut him loose. So when I talked to him, because I knew his brother, uh, we all played football together, John Adams. And uh, when I talked to him, I asked him, like, what, you know, what was going on? 
And he was like, look, I know you're a cop and cops stick together. And, you know, I understand that. I'm really just concerned, you know, because he, he got released. He got his DAT. It was over. He goes, but I'm just concerned that this guy has some personal angst against me. He goes, what happens next when he comes after me again? So and I, said, I, I just want to cut you up one second, Joe. I just want to explain sure. a DAT is oh, a desk yep. appearance Vanessa, ticket. Vanessa, that was your job. <laughs> now, I had another question because you said about the superhero and it just got me thinking that there's obviously a lot of people on the force or not a lot, but some people who can't handle that superhero status, you know, the power that comes yeah. with the job, the authority that right, comes with the right. job. That, that is so, an issue. And that's something that, you know, we would do together at the bar afterwards. You know, you do your own counseling with this, you know, about, uh, you, re, you know, talk about what you did during the day. That's why that just the camaraderie is so important. We would stick together and go out together and talk talking and Joe, I'm sure we'll share with this with you talking about this trauma that you experience is the greatest therapy for it. And talking amongst your colleagues, it was, it was just, you know, I, I, it's a great point that you bring out and, you know, you self critique yourself and, and each other about tactics. It's just so important to have that, uh, you know, closeness on the job and people look at it and interpret it the wrong way, but it is a valuable tool to be together and, and talk about it therapeutically and then also for your own safety and tactics. So great point, I'm glad you raised it. Um, but just to get back to that, so the next day I was working in the seven precinct at the time and, and I said, gee, I, I, I'm gonna go to my squad when I say squad, that's the detective unit. Each precinct has a detective squad. So I said, let me go to my squad, see if they know this guy and they can call him and say, hey, listen, you know, uh, let, let, let's let off this guy. So uh, I went to my squad, nobody knew him. So um, at the time I had two cops that had to go to Madison Square Garden. There was a Baptist music festival and they had a detail, they had to be there for security. So they asked me for a ride up to Madison Square Garden. That's Midtown South Precinct, which is next to the 10th Precinct. Mm -hmm. By the time we got there, I said, gee, you know, I'm already here. Maybe I'll just run upstairs and talk to this guy myself. I take pride in my ability to talk to people that I, you know, I'm a people person, I'm a patrol cop, I'm out there talking to people all day long. So I figured, let me, you know, it's just something you'd rather do in person than on the phone. So I walked up and I went to see the guy and I talked to him and I said, hey, you know, you arrested a friend of mine yesterday. And as soon as I mentioned my friend's name, he's inflating his chest. He starts poking me on my chest. Your friends are F and this and that. So I push his hand off of me. I'm shocked by this. I push his yeah. hand off of me. I said, yeah, well, he says you handcuffed him and smacked him around. So he shoves me. I shove him back. He throws a punch at me. I'm a little better at it than he is. And <laughs> so the boxing his... comes in. That's right. Oops. So I broke his jaw. Sadly, uh, I never intended to hurt him. That's not what, what my goal was, but I only hit him once and I backed up. I was shocked by the whole thing. Here I am in, in full uniform. You know, I, I, I'm a police officer. So unfortunately, uh, this detective had a real ego and, uh, you know, he was really upset by this whole thing. 
and went to his supervisors and I got arrested. I was arrested in uniform on duty for excessive force, uh, for assaulting. Actually, I threw one punch. And the funny part is I threw one punch and I got charged with two counts of assault too. One causing a serious physical injury because he had a, a bilateral fracture. His jaw was broken on both sides. And two was assaulting a police officer, which was hysterical. But now, as you imagine, uh, especially you, Mike, you know how the job is. I had friends on the job. Every time I would go fight, I got a chief or, you know, big boss standing next to me taking pictures. So a lot of the guys knew me. So I call a, a, a couple of friends and uh, the duty captain comes in and I was so glad to see him. His name was Michael Vesey. He was a knock around guy. I was like, oh, thank God. He comes in. He comes over to me and he says, look, I got a phone call from so-and-so. What the hell happened here? So I said, look, he, he wanted to know, was there anything else going on here? Was it just really a push and shove fight that you had? I said, yeah, that's it. I, I didn't even know this guy. Mm -hmm. So he took me out of the arrest processing room, kept me in the CEO's office and said, look, let's see if we can work this out. Uh, the detective, so upset by this, ended up calling up the chief of detective's office. They went up the ladder and the chief of detective's office, uh, chief of detective Joe Borelli at the time, took offense to the fact that a detective was in a fight with a cop and the detective was injured. So he ordered me back into the arrest processing room. So I ended up having to go through that whole process. I ended up going to the grand jury. I testified. I spoke to them. He spoke to them. I threw one punch in self-defense. I remember it. I was looking around the room, talking to the grand jurors. And uh, they voted no true bill. No true bill means they didn't indict me. And the charges were all dismissed, which was great. And then they tried to fire me, and I just couldn't understand that. The department charges, they served me with charges, which mirrored the criminal charges. And I was like, you want to fire me? You couldn't even indict me. So I ended up hiring uh, Bruce Cutler at the time. Everyone thinks of him as John Gotti's lawyer, and he's the gang. But Bruce is really, his father, Murray Cutler, was a detective on the job. He was a lawyer. He represents a lot of police officers. Everyone forgets he was a Brooklyn DA for a long time. Uh, so he's very friendly with cops. And I knew a couple of cops that he represented. So he represented me. And through his magic, he got me something called a Nolo Contendere plea. That was important because Nolo Contendere is essentially you plead no contest. You don't admit guilt, but you accept the penalty. Now, I needed to do that because this detective was suing me for a million dollars. Okay. It took eight years to go to trial, the, the civil lawsuit. And uh, by that time, I had a criminal lawyer, a civil lawyer, a department lawyer, a divorce lawyer. I was broke. I had no more money. I had to represent myself. You don't get legal aid for civil cases. You'll do that for for a criminal case. So I had to try the case myself. I picked the jury, nine witnesses. I cross-examined all of them. I honestly, Mike, I didn't have a losing day. It was incredible. 
I knew that case better than anyone that testified there, including this detective. And that was one of the funniest parts. I got to cross-examine him. And as I was questioning him, I was like asking him, where were we seated? Where were you and where was I? So I said to the judge, I said, Your Honor, can I have him step down from the stand and he can position himself where he was and, and me in front of the jury? And she goes, oh, that would be appropriate. That's fine. We hadn't seen each other in eight years. So he comes down off the stand and I'm like, yeah, so where was I? You know, he was stuttering and stumbling in front of that jury. It was so funny. And I thought he was at that time, eight years later, he was a homicide detective. And uh, I said, there's no way I'm going to move this guy. I know guys in homicide and they testify all the time. They're like ice cold in there. So, but he was a stumbling, bumbling mess. So after he rested, they did their whole case, presented their case. And it was time for me to call my witnesses. And I had a few witnesses. I decided, you know, you have to know sometimes you've done enough. Don't mess it up. I, I felt I did not have a losing day. I beat every one of their witnesses up. The jury liked it. They were laughing with me as we went. So when he rested, I rested. So uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the jury then comes back with the verdict and I'm surrounded by white shirts. The uh, court officers, the supervisors wear white shirts and I'm surrounded by them. So I'm looking up, I'm like, well, this isn't a good sign. He was like, no, 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 anytime there's a verdict, this is what we do, we come in, we don't know what the verdict is. I said, oh, okay. So the verdict comes in and it's a defense verdict, completely exonerating me. The first question in a civil jury, it's not guilty, not guilty. There's a whole questionnaire that they go through. So the first question was, was Officer Murray justified in striking Detective so-and-so? And if your answer is yes, report your verdict. If your answer is no, move on to question two. Was he acting in the scope of employment? Because if I was acting in the scope of employment, the city would be liable. Uh, so, um, once the verdict was over, I actually, you know, walked over to him to shake his hand and he was just so angry. He just stormed out of the, the courtroom. But I got to tell you, in that eight year period, my whole life was turned upside down. I was retaliated against. I got transferred so many times. I had, I, I had to stay one step ahead of the administration because they wanted to fire me so bad. And, and the PBA wouldn't back me up. There were a lot of cops that knew me and supported That's me. That's the union, Vanessa. Okay. The PBA, the PBA. The yeah. They refused. They said, look, he, he, he went against the cop uh, and took the side of a perp. We can't get involved in that. So that Would was- Would the charges, I have a quick question. Would the charges have been as heavy or would have there been any charges if the detective was not a detective, if he was a normal person off the street? Yes, it becomes a felony when, for two reasons. One, when you assault the police officer, even a simple physical assault that was just one punch, normally mm -hmm. that's a misdemeanor assault unless you use a weapon. So because it was a police officer, <laughs> it raised it up to a felony status. And then okay. the second thing is because he had a bilateral fracture, he had a wire in his jaw, they claimed that it was not just a physical injury, which would be a misdemeanor. It was a serious physical injury. Really wasn't under the law as, as I've learned the law, but 
they overcharged it to make a point. They, they wanted okay. to retaliate against me. Okay, gotcha. But it, it's, it was really incredible that, you know, that experience, first of all, being a police officer and then facing criminal charges and going through the system, uh, you know, it's an eye-opening experience as to what people I arrest go through, you know? So, yeah. so it was really, it was really an eye-opening experience because we say in this country that you're innocent to proven guilty. That is an absolute false. Yeah. Everybody considers you guilty until, until you're proven innocent. To prove yourself. Yeah. So and, and, that's and why you're placed in handcuffs, right? That's why you're placed in handcuffs. So, but um, you know, I have to say though that the, the core people that were around me were unshaken by this whatsoever and supported me. And I thank God through their help and you know the, the grace of God, I am now where I am today. After I won that trial, the judge called me up to the bench and congratulated me and said, Officer Murray, you did an amazing job. You should consider going to law school. So I happened to agree with her. I loved being on trial. I was like, wow, yeah. this is so amazing. Just, you know, being in control of your situation. I have to tell you, I, I did have a lot of good lawyers, but I got rid of a couple of lawyers that I didn't like who were essentially telling me, okay, I got this kid, I'll call you. I was like, no, I wanna know what's happening. What's going on? What are the communications? What are you doing about this charge? When are we going to the grand jury? When am I gonna testify? Lawyers don't like that. Lawyers like to be in control. This is their case. They're gonna handle it amongst the other cases they have the way they wanna handle it. I found a fantastic <laughs> lawyer, his name is Nick Ravanti. This guy just left no stone unturned. And it was meeting after meeting at the DA's office, Queen for a Day. Queen for a Day is a great tool. It's when, as every defendant has an absolute right to remain silent from the time you're arrested or even before you're arrested up until the end of the trial, you don't have to say a word. But in a case like this, where there's important information that you should communicate to the DA's office, they allow you, they call it queen for a day. It's a contract between the DA. I'll allow you to come in, speak to us. And if we aren't able to work anything out and we end up going to trial, we agree not to use anything you said on our direct case against you at trial. Mm -hmm. The only time they will use it is if you take the stand and you start testifying differently. Then they'll bring it out and say, isn't it true that you came into our office and you said this? But outside of that, it's a great tool because it allowed me to look them in the eye, tell my story, explain exactly what happened. They got a feel for who I am and they got to hear my version of the story, which was very persuasive. The assigned assistant, I believe, was convinced right away. He invited us back to meet with his bureau chief um, and uh, we met with him. And then it was communicated to us through the DA's office that the detective bureau and the detective uh, union was putting so much pressure on the DA's office to indict me because they were saying they're not gonna work with any DA's if, if they're not gonna go ahead and prosecute this case. 
So the DA's office said to us, said, look, we, we can't dismiss this because of the politics. We're going to present it to the grand jury fairly. You'll both have an opportunity to go in there and talk to the grand jury and let the chips fall where they fall. But, and the prosecutor did. He presented it very fairly. I was very happy with the way he presented it. I mean, he went after me a little bit about the boxing, which I thought was unfair, but I, it wasn't unexpected. Um, mm -hmm. So, but, you know, that whole process really gave me an appreciation for people that are arrested and accused of crimes that may not be, uh, you know, guilty of the crimes, but the evidence looks like they are because everyone that didn't know me was convinced I was a madman. I couldn't believe the stories I was hearing uh, that was getting back to me from other cops. They're like, wow, you're not gonna believe how people are talking about this case. What a nut job you are. You ran up there and hit him with a chair. I was like, what? Oh, jeez. So, uh, well, you know, it same. gets worse and worse with each person that tells the oh, story. Oh, it's incredible. <laughs> Telephone in the police department, too. You know, you know this. Joe will tell you in the police department, telephone is the worst. It gets worse and worse with each person uh, who passes it along. Uh, but I got to tell you how fundamentally that experience really empowered me because I took it upon myself as a high school graduate to study the law. I really needed to learn the law justification, Article 35 of the penal law. I memorized it. I started reading cases about it. I started really deciding, you know, as I went through this process, wow, you know, the law is fascinating. And I, I got to tell you, as a police officer, it's so empowering to know the law. And I'm not talking about just the penal law, like to know how criminal procedure yeah. and process, like reading case law, to know exactly. And the whole process of teaching law, this is why when I went to law school, it really wasn't hard for me. I loved it. It's done by the case method, where they'll take actual cases and you take the fact pattern of that case and they apply the law to it. It's just so logical. It makes perfect sense. And it's, it's a great way to understand it because you have these facts in your head. And after having been a police officer and been through a lot of this, I'm like, oh, wow. So that's why we're allowed to do that. You know, that it was just so empowering to learn all this information. So I, I ended up, uh, it was actually 2001, uh, January 2001, when that trial was done. Uh, and I just started, that was my first semester of college, September 2000, and I just finished up. Uh, and uh, I really was committed. I said, you know, I'm going to do this. So I started uh, my second semester. I was trying to do it while I was on the job. And then 9-11 hit. And that really rocked me, you know, uh, going through that. I, I just had a rough experience. I had two young kids at the time and my kids were terrified. My son, his best friend in school, and he was only about five at the time, his best friend in school, his father didn't come home. His father died in, uh, at Ground Zero. But at the time, nobody knew that. We just knew that you know it was chaos, that the buildings collapsed. We didn't know everyone was dead. We were down on the pile every night, but my son, I just remember the terror in his eyes, my daughter was three. She was like, okay, you're going to work. Bye, daddy. Kiss me goodbye. Yeah. My son, though, 
was, Daddy, don't go. Don't go. Ray's yeah. father went to work at the trade center. He didn't come home. I, it, it was just so painful, you know, to, and even now, 20 years later, I, you know, I get choked up because seeing the pain in his eyes and the fear that he could lose his father, yeah. you know? So, so after 9-11, uh, you know, I was down there for a while and uh, June of 2002, I decided I have 15 years I'm going to leave. I'm committed. I love this stuff. I was doing great. I was getting straight A's in college. I said, I'm going all in. I'm going to go full time, double up, get my degree and then go to law school. I was so committed. And so I actually, you know, I, I was so torn. I was so angry too. You know, I was very close to joining the military, but it was my son more than my daughter, but my kids, I, I, I decided I'm either going to go kill terrorists or I'm going to go, you know, to law school. And, right. Because uh, yeah. I had that anger in me, seeing all that destruction and, and the people that you know that perished there and the pain that was brought down on so many people. I really felt that, you know what, I'm the guy that could go there and, and, and tear these people up, you know, and, but uh, I'm glad I didn't do that. And, uh, uh, I am so thankful to guys like Joe Sanchez and other other people that join the military and put their lives on the line for us in this country every day. So I didn't. I went to law school and and uh, I love it. I, I it's a second career for me, and I get to do what I love most: helping people. It's the same work I do as a cop. It's amazing. Right. I'm helping the same people. I'm a criminal defense attorney now, and I'm out there, you know, because even when we arrest people, Joe will tell you this, we arrest people, they're not our enemies, and we try to talk to them. We try to help these people, you know, and, and, and especially the kids and stuff. I love boxing. I would invite them down to the gym. So mm -hmm. I found myself now being an attorney doing the exact, so many people can't understand it. Like, how do you go from being a cop to a criminal defense attorney and they really don't understand i'm doing the same job i am right. helping the same people i'm just helping them in a different way so you know one of the things that was really interesting i was in queens at the end of my career and, and i would you know make arrests and bring a prison to queen central book and i'm wearing a blue uniform i walk in and um you know, you get snarled at, hey, you're a racist, this, that, whatever, pig. And I walk through and I deliver the prisoner and I lodge him and I leave. Now, as an attorney, I walk through the exact same central booking into the cells to interview someone who's arrested, who's going to be arraigned. And I'm the same yeah. guy. I'm just wearing a different uniform. And you know, the, the, the difference is, oh, hi, sir, can I talk to you? Hey, please, can you help me? And it's only because of what I'm wearing. I'm the right. same guy that I was, uh, you know, <laughs> F you, you pig. And this, it's just amazing, you know, like from a, from a sociology standpoint, you know, the way we look at different groups and how they interact. It's really what I'm wearing. It's not even my color or my skin. Right, right, what I'm right. wearing that causes people to react to me differently. Yeah. You and Joe Sanchez definitely have a different perspective yes. as far as law, lawmen go. Um, I want to tell the you, law. though, 
after you know becoming a lawyer, I love helping people. I always did as a cop and doing this now. The people that I really enjoy helping are police officers, especially now where police officers are coming under attack like never before. And, mm -hmm. and make no mistake about it, when cops do bad things, I'll call them out for it. But for the most part, I love being available and there to help these police officers because they work so hard and I know they're good people and they're doing a very difficult job and there's not a lot of friends out there for police officers. So when I see okay. someone like Joe Sanchez and the way he was wronged in so many ways and continues to be wrong, I, I, I'm humbled by his service to the military, to the city, state corrections. I am humbled by what he's done in his life. And I love that I have the tools and the ability to help someone like him. And I thank you for letting yeah. me do that, you know, on this show, just to, to, to let people know what we're doing here. Right. And, and, and let's talk about, let's talk about Joe Sanchez. I have to keep remembering we have two Joes two as Joes. guests today, <laughs> you know, but let's, let's talk about uh, Joe Sanchez and, uh, and actually let's, let's have him join the convo at this point. Um, and he's been very patient while we've been chatting away. How are you doing, Joe Sanchez? I'm doing well, thank God. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to see Joe there. I yes. keep saying he's got send. <laughs> yeah, uh, same here, man. I'm, I'm, I'm just humbled by you and, and everything you've done. I'm, I'm enjoying your book. Uh, and let's get something done here. I think it's, it's time. Yeah, Thank yeah you. so let, let's let's uh, help Vanessa and some of the other listeners that haven't had an opportunity to get a synopsis, you know, of of kind of what what's happened to Joe, you know, uh, in his career. Um, you know, I always told him his his biggest mistake was going from Port Authority to NYPD to the state with Port Authority. <laughs> No, but look at all the good he did, the amazing work he did, you know, in coming to the NYPD. I mean, well, that's true. That's true. That's true. So, so let, let's talk about his story. Who, who wants to, uh, who wants well, to lead us on that? Joe is an expert at telling that story. He wrote a, a book about it and we're going to try to make a movie out of it. They should really. That would be nice. That would be nice. Uh, I uh, co-wrote four books. Latin Blues was my first uh, year with the uh, NYPD in the 90 precinct, really the first section with my uh, Cuban partner, Louis Herrera, God bless his soul, he passed a few years ago. And uh, then, uh, let me begin, look. My name is Joe Sanchez. And, 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 and I'm sorry, Joe, I, I just wanna mention, mm -hmm. I've known Joe since 2007. I met him uh, he came down. We lost two deputies in the line of duty in 2007. And uh, Joe and I were both involved in the Latino Officers Association of Florida at the time. And uh, and Joe Sanchez drove all the way from where he lives down here to South Florida. So it's a good, I don't know, four and a half hour drive uh, from where he lives to come down here to pay his respect 
to the off the deputy that was killed in the line of duty. And that's, that's when, when Joe and I got to meet face to face for the first time. So I just want to, that that's the type of guy he is. I just wanted to say that. Not surprised at all to hear that. Yeah. Okay, so go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. I <laughs> cut you off. Yeah, my name is Joe Sanchez Picon. I was born in Santurce, Puerto Rico, 1947. Uh, my mother, my father moved in the mainland in 1951, 52. I lived in the Lower East Side. I lived uh, by, my mother was always moving. We were like gypsies. Uh, she separated from my dad, but my dad was always there. It was like, he never left. Always there. Circus came in, rodeo, Coney, and my father. Wow. He was always there. I miss him. I love him. And my mom, they're in heaven. And, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, I, I lived, uh, I lived uh, uh, not far from Hell's Kitchen. We moved to the South Bronx. When I was 11 years old, I got arrested because I got involved with two older kids. At one 14, 15 years old, they asked me to get a, uh, a screwdriver from my apartment. I didn't know what they were going to do. They told me to escort them. They started uh, prying open a, a parking meter. Transit cop, plane clothes, trans, transit cops came by. We took off. In the long run, we were all arrested. I wrote that in my book. And I was 11 years old. And from that day on, I said, gee, I want to be a good guy. I want to be a cop. <laughs> and... Uh, I graduated, I graduated from Theodore Roosevelt High School. I, I pushed my draft. I couldn't get into the Army, the Navy. Every time I went down to the uh, Whitehall Street, they would, at 3 o'clock, they would set me home. So uh, somebody told me, push your draft. So I pushed my draft. I got the, one way to, uh, the token, one-way token to Whitehall. I got the letter from uh, President Johnson, and I was drafted into the Army. I, uh, I served with the 1st Air Cavalry Unit. I was a Sky Trooper. In fact, me, I have uh, the guys that I was win uh, wounded with. Uh, I was wounded with Robert Martinez, the medic, and I was uh, John White. I was uh, wounded with uh, Sergeant Fred Booker. I was his forward observer, carried the radio. I was also a rifleman, and that was my birthday. I got wounded my 20th birthday, almost lost my life. But God has been always with me, the Lord Jesus Christ, always with me. I come home, and I decided I drove a cab. I, I, I worked at uh, Lincoln Hospital as an ambulance driver. Uh, I also worked in uh, Harlem Hospital, and uh, I took the NYPD test in 68, and they, they rejected me for everything they can think of. Joe, everything can I stop you for a second? Because you're, you really are glossing over this, your military service and the fact that you were wounded and, and that whole grenade attack, and you know you were in the hospital the longest. Mm -hmm. I mean, just to share how you felt as a 20-year-old man, you know, on your 20th birthday, what that was like, you know, and uh, the fact that that grenade hit you and you thought you were dying and, you know, could you share some of that? Oh, oh sure. It was my 20th birthday. I was out, uh, we were on a patrol and uh, we were looking for the, uh, the enemy, the VCs. We found their camp. Uh, they had moved. So the, the birds came to pick us up. The, uh, the Hueys brought us back to camp and I was writing my mother a letter telling her I was in, uh, I was a clerk. I didn't want to worry my mom. I always thought I had a good job. It would break my mother's heart if I even mentioned that I was in a combat situation. And, uh, but uh, another platoon made contact in, in the village that we had been in. And uh, I had to get back on the helicopter with Sergeant Fred Booker. We landed. Uh, they already had uh, a few Viet Cons that were captured. And uh, like I said, then it, it was a skirmish, firefight. 
and it just happened that uh, 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 a helicopter was hovering above some uh, above some uh, trees, and uh, they threw a red smoke which signaled enemy. And we approached that area when the VC uh, lobbed a grenade at us. And uh, my first, uh, I thought it, I, I thought I had been shot in the head because you you, you feel the concussion. And everything's, everything stops. And the first thing I said was, I mommy me mataron. In Spanish, oh, mom died. They've killed me. Uh, uh, I went down. I didn't feel my, uh, the, we call it the Prick 25 radio, which was about 30 pounds. I only weighed 130 pounds at the time. Uh, everything everything came down fast. Sergeant Booker fell to my right. I couldn't do anything to help him. I was paralyzed. He, uh, uh, he fell to my right. He looked like a mannequin, as I wrote in my book. And everything went from fast to slow motion. Everything just slows down. And you come back when you hear the ringing in your ear. That's when you come back. And when I came back, I just hear boom, 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 uh, fire. And uh, I got out of the hole I was in. I was limping because I got hit in, my, in both legs and my arms. And uh, when I got out of there, I look up and I see jets flying by. I see two jets just flying by because they weren't far from aircraft area. Then I'm just, I'm, I'm still suffering from the concussion. And all I'm thinking, boy, this looked like a John Wayne movie, I was thinking, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody put me down, they patched me up, uh, Huey's come in, the medevac, they take me uh, to the, uh, the uh, uh, it was Elsie Betty, uh, we were treated there. Next to me was Sergeant Booker. I mean, they were, uh, he, they were trying to keep him alive. They were doing a trick because he couldn't breathe. And he's right next to me, all full of blood. They're trying to patch him up. In the long run, we were transferred to the Afield Hospital uh, about 100 miles or so in the Trang, but that's where they operate. Where in the field, they stopped the bleeding, so on and so. And I saw a lot of things in that hospital that affected me a lot later on when I came home. And uh, I had lost also uh, another friend of mine. Uh, this was in a different firefight from way back. He lost his life. In, 19, in 1997, I was able to visit his parents. They're both deceased now in uh, Philadelphia, and they wanted to know how Lenny Palulo died. And I told him, I told him, Lenny had told me, Joe, I'm not going to die in Vietnam. And it was his, uh, this was during almost Christmas, two weeks before Christmas. His birthday was uh, uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, and I told him, you know, uh, Lenny, you and I are going to make it home. Lenny died a month and a half later. He was killed in action. So these are things that worked on me when I came home. Joe, how long was it before, how long was it before you were able to actually, from the time that happened to actually going on with your, all these jobs that you've worked in, how long was that window of time? No, well, I came home. I came home. I, I was a cab driver. I drove an ambulance. Like I said, I, uh, so you just started right away after something yeah, that yeah, traumatic well, usually would put people out of commission for a long time, but you were able no. to just to go back. I took the test at 68. I got home at 67, took the test for the NYPD. I wanted to be a cop. Wow. I wanted to serve and protect. I just, I respect the cops. I love them. It seems like I such a them. high calling. I, I want to know why, what is it so important about, um, I just, so compelling it, about being a cop, about being a police officer? For both of you, I guess, it's the question applies. I wanted to serve and protect. I wanted to catch bad guys. I lived in the spooky areas. And I says, I want to no. be one of the guys here in blue protecting these people living here. And I, 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 I got the opportunity when I became a Port Authority police officer because they called me first. So in 1970, I became a Port Authority police officer. And I wrote some stories about that experience. I spent three years with the uh, Port Authority police. People tell me, why did, you leave, why did you leave the Port Authority? They would tell me. What? Because I, uh, I wanted to get back into the concrete jungle. That's right. The heavy. heavy yeah, and and I, ju I just want to clarify, you know, um, for listeners and for you, Vanessa, the Port Authority Police Department is a separate police department of mm -hmm. the NYPD. 
And it's, it is an agency that has multi-state jurisdiction. Um, mm -hmm. And although, it, although the name is Port Authority of Police of New York and New Jersey, they actually have jurisdiction in some other states, Connecticut and, and others where there's Port Authority um, uh, vehicles or equipment or, mm -hmm. or other things that, that kind of pass yeah. through those states. But they are a separate department from the NYPD. That I was actually a bit familiar with because I lived in Hoboken for five years. So oh, I'm a bit familiar with the Port Authority. Yes, okay. <laughs> All right, excellent, excellent. Yeah, well, they're bi-state agency, so we have police power in yeah. both states. And uh, yeah. Port Authority cops can live in Jersey and New York. So that's yeah. the... Uh, yeah, I spent time, a lot of time in both places, and I remember the Port Authority, and uh, yeah. they were separate entities. But I'm sorry, yeah. I, I interrupted you. No, I spent I, three years. I spent three years there, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot uh, as a cop there. I can tell my story, but it's, it's, it's only my book. And I made some good arrests. I remember my first homicide collar there, off-duty collar while I was a Port Authority guy. Collar is but an that, arrest. A, oh, okay. Collar is an arrest. You know, they like grab you by the collar. You know, the cops grab you by the collar. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> And after three years, uh, I uh, finally the NYPD called me, and I entered the uh, police academy in October of 1973. It was as I wrote in my book, I, uh, in the academy when they gave me the badge. It just seemed a little heavier because I uh, it felt like I, now I got uh, by being heavy was I got a bigger responsibility now because now yeah. I'm going to be involved in a lot of action. Don't forget that five boroughs in the city of New York, eight million eight million people. And uh, I was very proud to be a Puerto Rican cop. Oh, I was proud of that job. But now as an NYPD cop, I, I even felt prouder. I, I was going to go back into the NAM. I felt like I was back in war. Mm -hmm. That's the way I felt. I wanted to serve and protect. And I loved it. The meaner the precinct you put me in, the more I loved it. Don't put me in a B house, E house, A house. Joe, you're definitely a special breed. I don't think most people would be angsty to go back into that. <laughs> into the war well, environment. I got seven shootings when I was a Port Authority cop. I was forced to shoot at four different individuals, you know, different incidents. And I, I got involved in a lot of off-duty because I wouldn't say no. I got involved in off-duty college because when I saw a crime, I had four kids to go home to and my wife, yeah. but I couldn't turn my back. I know cops that said, I'm, gonna, uh, I'm not getting involved in this. Even in Radio Rock, I, I'm going home. I'm not picking up that job. I said, I'm picking up the job. That could be my mother. That could be my, my brother. That could be my father. That could be right. my cousin calling for help. I'm going. And I used to call my wife. I'm not coming home. I just made an arrest. Oh, you've been away for two days. Well, I'm I'm sorry. I had to make a collar. And uh, I make collars uh, as far as rescue. And I remember I rescued this one uh, young girl who was kidnapped for ransom. Mm -hmm. I rescued her. Off duty, I had to do it because the lieutenant behind the desk wanted to, the detective that assigned to the case to come in, but the mother was already in the precinct saying, I got the ransom money, I got to meet him in a half an hour. Well, you're going to have to wait. I told her, wait for me, wait for me outside. She was with her brother. We went in my own car, in my own car, and I made that arrest. And I and, and uh, the girl was being held in an apartment. I got involved in that. Uh, the lieutenant didn't like me, wanted to bring me up on charges for disobeying an order. I said, go ahead, because when we go to the trial room, we're going to see who's going to really come up against charges because if, if I had acted the way I did, that girl could have been hurt. Your job was to get uh, the squad, get other police officers uh, assigned to this case. Not wait for the detective to come in an hour later. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I mean, I work with guys that shouldn't be, should never have been police officers. They didn't call you Fearless Joe because that should be your nickname. 
No fear, Joe. I was called the arrest machine. Arrest Super machine. Cop. Yeah. I did mm -hmm. read that, yeah. Yeah, the arrest machine. Uh, I just loved the job. I loved it. And it broke my heart when they locked me up. They locked me up for, for an arrest of my, for my, my partner and I made it on April 13th, uh, when was it, 1982. Arrested some drug dealers. One alleged that I ripped them off. When we all brought them into the precinct, Internal Affairs came in, Lieutenant John Verworth, he interviewed all the other drug dealers. They said, Sanchez never took any money from me. Uh, we didn't see him take any money from the uh, from the drug dealer that was alleged that, that I that I took money from, and uh, it was unsubstantiated. But they were facing a lot of time in, in prison. Somebody convinced them: if you want out, tell the grand jury that he ripped you off, every one of you. He ripped you off for more than two hundred fifty five hundred dollars, and that's how I got indicted. If the grand jury had heard my case, if I had been arrested first, I would have been able to tell the grand jury my story. I would have never been indicted because. Uh, my partner was never indicted. I was the target. I would have been able to tell the grand jury exactly what happened. They would have been asking questions. But in a secret indictment, you only hear one side. And the right. person that has control is the DA. Mm -hmm. And they yes. indicted me knowing that I had immunity. Because when I, I locked up these, these individuals, when I went to see the assistant DA in criminal court, I had told them that one of the drug leaders made an, uh, 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 an accusation that I, I ripped them off. He should have told me right now, well, then you're going to have to waive your immunity. Sign this paper. So we uh, next next day when we go to indict these people, if we find out that you did wrong, we can indict you. I never waived my immunity. So once I testified in that grand jury with my partner, the law says you can't touch this cop or anything. They indicted me anyway. The special state prosecutor, and I'll name him, Thomas Duffy, and the henchman, his assistant DA, Joe Hester, knew I had immunity. They, they broke the law. They indicted me anyway. So when I was indicted, I went to a trial for nothing, for nothing. Mm -hmm. That case was later on. And then the new special state prosecutor came in, Charlie Joe Hines. He took over. Duffy went out. Charlie Joe Hines came in as a special state prosecutor. He said, what did they do to this kid? He dismissed the whole indictment. So it was nullified like it never happened. So I, uh, mm -hmm. uh, I'm telling the department, I'm telling my lawyer, can I get back on the job, please? I don't care if I have to sweep the precinct. You know, I want my job back. I broke the police call of silence prior to this, which meant I, I call it, they call it the wall. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I blew the whistle on a lieutenant, special lieutenant and my captain. I wore a wire, Toronto Affairs wired me to do this. In the long run, they leaked it to the lieutenant. They leaked it, they leaked it to, the, uh, uh, to, the, the, to the captain. And eventually they went back and said, we got to get this guy. And what did they do? They reached out to these drug dealers that I got, uh, 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 that I arrested with my partner and turned the tables on me. All of them said that I So, so j just to clarify, Internal Affairs wired you up. To get a lieutenant and a captain. To get two members of the department, mm -hmm. right? Who were allegedly corrupt at the time. Because yeah, I had information that they were. And... Then they turn the tables on you. Mm, yes. Right. Because obviously that lieutenant. We got to get rid of this guy. We got to right, get you. That lieutenant and, and the other guy obviously had had a had a bigger a bigger friend in the department than you did. Or the as they said back in, the, in that day, a rabbi. The friend right. was actually right. in internal affairs and was tipping him off to what Joe was doing. 
That's how bad this was. They, they, yeah, because I ran into other officers. I, I ran into two officers that got along with the lieutenant. And uh, they had warned me. Uh, they warned me because something happened between them and the lieutenant that they didn't like. And they, and they uh, two of them had approached me and says, uh, I hear you going in. One told me, go on in with, they're going to lock you up, Joe. And I told them, if anybody's going to be arrested, especially as the lieutenant, because I had faith. I, 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 uh, I never thought that the police department would do something like that. Yeah. Would actually. Can you share some of that information at, about this lieutenant? I mean, some of the stuff was just incredible. And then at those other uh, business people that you ran into who, you know, the information of, of that you learned about them. Right. Just to give everyone a sense of who this guy is. He was a bad guy. He was a bad guy. This lieutenant would come in on an his on his day off and grab an unmarked police car to do his business. You can't do that. And even when his, his tour was over, he'd go out, grab the key, get in a police unmarked car to do whatever he was doing. In regards to, uh, he was involved with the business, gente que tenían bodegas, businesses. And that's the, you know, they took care of him where there was, uh, there was one particular guy who had a, a, a supermarket, whether he needed steak, whatever. Uh, this guy, uh, I got him on a, on a wire that told me he would travel with the lieutenant uh, to Puerto Rico, uh, excuse me, to Santo Domingo. And I saw pictures of this lieutenant where he was having sex with younger girls, underage. Underage. He, I saw them when I, when I was, in other words, when he trusted me. Because I, I used to play softball with him. And he was so proud of it. He called me one day and said, hey, look, what do you think about this, this joke? And I'm looking at it. I, uh, I only regret that I, I wasn't able to steal one of those photos that I could use later on to defend myself. I reported him for that, for having sexual intercourse with younger girls. I'm talking about under 15 years old in the Dominican Republic. And those are one of the, uh, one of the things that I had told internal affairs about. And uh, he was also... Uh, when it came to guns, he was getting guns and handing them out to people that shouldn't have guns. I learned about that also. So I, I took and it these upon myself. guns that are being picked up off the street that he's handing out to his friends in the street. Of course. And you get cops that find guns and they keep them. Right. Is and he still in the force or did he, did no, he, I mean, when did he? He, get he retired in 1987. He retired in 1987. And he had reported me as far as trying to falsely accuse him of doing something. And I had to keep my mouth shut because when I went to the trial, uh, to the department trial room on, on the case that he accused me of trying to falsely accuse him of something, I thought the internal affairs was going to come to my defense. I was waiting. Come on, guys. I, I, you wired me up. Nothing. That, double cross. Like I was double crossed. Double that tape never showed up. Never. Mm -hmm. Even when I called, when we were, the, the case that I, uh, the, the incident where my partner and I arrested the uh, five drug dealers. When we follow one particular drug dealer, okay, into a building, I notify Central. We got a suspicious mail. We're following them into a particular building. Central, Central is said, dispatch. The dispatch. Okay. You need any backup? I said, no, we'll, uh, uh, we'll advise. Uh, uh, I told my lawyer, I want that tape. Get the tape where, uh, where I notify Central that we were following this particular guy. Because the way the prosecutor was making it look like we knew him. We knew that he was going to come into the area that particular day. I was told that there was a mis misfunction with that tape and it wasn't available. They did everything, everything to send me to prison, everything to have me convicted because I broke the police code of silence, everything. 
And eventually when I was indicted, uh, the, uh, even when I went to trial, uh, the, uh, the reporter, she, would, uh, she came out to the corridor once and, and she told me, I can't believe they did this to you. Even the court officers said, I can't believe they put you through this. This is ridiculous, this case, ridiculous. Everybody thought it was ridiculous. I even had a captain that called me. They got nothing on you, Joe. And then I had a lieutenant and I'll name him, Primo Flores. He became a captain later on. He was a lawyer for the advocate's office. He, before I went to the appellate court to try to get my job back, I, I was in one police plaza and he tells me, if the appellate court goes your way, they, they're, gonna, they're not gonna give you a hearing. They're gonna give you the job because if they give you a hearing, it's gonna open up a can of worm of what they did to you, mm -hmm. what they did to you. But eventually the appellate court went against me because at the time the police commissioner had the right to hire me, even though I was exonerated. The Daily News wrote me up injustice system, injustice system, chaos super cop. Uh, El Daddy La Prensa wrote a nice article on me. The jurors, one juror for all the jurors, wrote a letter on my behalf to get me back on the job. You ended up but having a lot of the people support, the public support. Yeah, I had two congressmen. Petitions, right? Two, a senator and a congressman wrote me put him back yeah. on the job. But Chief Estevilla was anti-RA too. Chief Estevilla. Chief Estevilla. Well, he was a sergeant at the time, but he came to my aid. And uh, 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 it, it was tough for me. It was tough for my family because when it hit the newspaper, it, it, made, it made me look bad. It, I was embarrassed. I, was, I didn't even want to go out shopping with my wife, but she was strong enough to tell me, Joe, let's go. We got to go shopping. And it was embarrassing for my kids. And, but when I was exonerated, even they, uh, the... The Journal News in, in Rockland County, where I, I live, they wrote a nice story on me. But Benjamin Ward, who was the police commissioner at the time, uh, one of my supervisors, uh, uh, Captain uh, Ray of Brucey, God bless his soul, he, he, I met with him. I went to, to his house to talk to him. And he says, Joe, the reason that Benjamin Ward did not bring you back is because you broke the police call of silence. Mm -hmm. That was the reason. So my story gets deeper and deeper because again, uh, I was able to become a, a mailman. I did that for three years. I ran into drug dealers while I up in Haverstraw while I was uh, delivering amazing. the mail. Yeah, all I had was my mace now. I didn't have a gun. I had my weren't, you a correction, weren't you a corrections officer as well? And you yeah, ran into that, people that you've, people yeah, that you arrested? In 1989, I left the Department of Correction. I went to uh, the academy up in New York and I was assigned to Sing Sing. I couldn't wait to go behind the wall. I couldn't wait. Uh, I kept it quiet. Nobody knew that I was a, a cop. But as soon as I went in there, bing, I ran into inmates I locked up. And I, I was assaulted four times. Uh, long story on that. But yeah. uh, working those galleries, I mean, you're surrounded by... Sing Sing had 2,000 inmates. And I can tell you another story. So all all in all, through your, through your career, you went through three different academies. Right, yeah. right, right. But uh, there are cops that never would have done what I did in going into the belly of the beast. They say, you got to be crazy. Oh, yeah. 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 It's, it's not that I was a correction officer and then I became a cop. No, I went into the belly of the beast. But I loved it when I ran into an inmate that would recognize me. One guy said, you're a legend. You're a legend. I said, I'm a legend? Yeah. They know you're here. And uh, so I wasn't going to go home and tell my wife, oh, I can't go to work. I mean, they know me. Uh, the world was going to shank me was going to get stabbed in the back. I used to wear my bullet. I had, still had my bulletproof vest that I, from the police department because they had stolen everything on me. I worked in the eight and uh, the three, four precinct. Cops stole everything on me. A few days after I got arrested, the word was he's a rat. <laughs> they stole my equipment. They stole my equipment. 
And when I went up there with my 10 year old boy to get my equipment, uh, I met uh, 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 Gary Dugan. He was the delegate, Gary Dugan. And I said, Gary, man, they stole my equipment. I'm, I'm here with my son, 10 year old boy. Uh, he said, well, I'm sorry to hear that, but I got, we, we got a collection for you, Joe. I says, yeah, he took our $20. Twenty dollars. It says this is your collection. He was sending me a message. Go screw yourself. Yeah. And I couldn't do any. I wrote that in the book, but I changed his name, Gary Dugan. That's his real name. And uh, I says, you know, Gary, uh, I was just arrested a few days ago. I'm chasing uh, because I was also uh, accused of assaulting the drug dealer. I said, if it wasn't for my little boy that's here, ten years old, and I, I was angry with him. I said, I'll, I, I, I would freaking break your nose and spin on you, but I'm not going to do that. I mean, so, you, so you, you, you'd, you'd have pulled the Joe Murray on him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm, glad, I, I'm glad I didn't. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. But these are the things I went through. And then uh, from uh, Sing Sing, I transferred to Kentucky State Prison because we bought a home over there. And I saved an inmate's life also. I got the records up. I saved an inmate's life. And during that uh, incident, I, I also got hurt. But I always jumped into it because I'm a, I'm a correction officer. I'm supposed to be there to protect staff and the inmates. I jumped in there. I, I never thought about the danger. Even when I got involved in a few shootings, I never thought about it. I just did what I had to. Mm -hmm. I, I loved it. I just, it's the adrenaline that is going. I loved it. I only thought about it later. Uh, after the uh, uh, the incident was over, I would say to myself, gee, I got, I got kids to go home to. What am I doing? But then again, I do it again, and I do it again, and I do it again. And, and through I'm this all, protect. I loved it. Like Joe, I loved the job, and they took it away from me. They stole it from me. Mm -hmm. And, and, they and stole, through this they stole all, my pension. through everything you've been through and being exonerated, etc., the police commissioner refused to appoint you back to the police department as a member of the yes. service. Yes, I took it to the appellate court. And one funny thing that happened in the appellate court when they heard my. Uh, Five judges are there. There was a female judge and four, four male judges, the appellate court on, on Madison Street. I remember being there with my partner, Herman Velez, in my appeals court from the PBA. And when it was all over, the, the, the female uh, uh, lawyer for the, uh, for the department, uh, for the police department, the city, came over to me and says, may, may, may I speak to you privately? I said, sure. He says, my job is to defend the city. But what I'm about to tell you, if you repeat it to anybody else, I'm going to have to deny it, but I got to get it off my chest. I said, what is it? And she dropped the F, uh, what is it, the F bomb, the word bomb. But, yeah. but, you know, what she, but I, I, I'll give you a better euphemism. She says, uh, they screwed you, and I hope you get your job back. And she walked away. Even the lawyer for the city was on my side. Nah. There, there is no justice. Yeah, justice for some. But when they say justice for all, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And it doesn't matter. Uh, all the commendations that I got in NYP doesn't do anything for me. What am I going to do? You know, like what? My purple heart over here means a lot. I got it over here. That means a lot to me. That means a lot to me. I shed Joe, blood for the country. Joe, you chronicle all of these stories, uh, the war, your career as a police officer, in your four books, the four books are about the well, police the first book is The first book is my first rookie year. And the other books, uh, my first book, Latin Blues, Red Herring, and uh, uh, three of my books are more Taking like a, 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 a trilogy. 
a trilogy. And okay. True, True Blue, A Tale of the Enemy Within, starts with me being wounded in Vietnam. That's how I start my book, action, in action, the day that I got wounded okay. on the birthday. And then I go back, to, I have flashbacks where I go back growing up. Everything that yeah, I just blues. told you, it's in my book. And they can all be found on Amazon? Or where can people find your books? Amazon, especially uh, Kendall, Kendall. I've been doing it for Kendall. 16 years. A lot of books have got, you know, yeah, Kendall. They're getting uh, very tech, techy. Yeah, and they can also go to his website for additional information. Blue yeah, Wall. No yeah, 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 yeah. BlueWallNYPD.com. Uh, www.BlueWallNYPD.com. And, uh, you know, Bull Deedle, I did a show with Bull Deedle, and he helped me out a lot. Bull Deedle put me on his show, and I told it, I told as much as I could, just like I'm talking to you now. Uh, I know I talk fast, but uh, uh, when I think about it, you know, sometimes I get excited, but my problem was, I couldn't keep my mouth shut. I used to tell bosses. I got away with it because I was the arrest machine. I was the super cop. I knew what I was doing. If I had been a rookie cop or I was a kind of cop that just went home, I would have never got away with I it. Away with I had bosses that tried to hurt me, talk down to me, and I would say, and I would put them down. No, you're not. I made enemies. And, and how does your story compare with, say, other people that have been whistleblowers in the police department, because there, there's yeah. been a number of people. Uh, in, fact, in fact, there was one officer uh, just recently that was awarded uh, something in, in a, uh, some kind of settlement from the NYPD. Um, well, I that, can't was a, that, was, uh, that was a, uh, a detective that got involved because the internal affairs uh, chief called him a rat. Yeah. A rat. And from what I understand, uh, he was told to take the blame for another for another detective and he wouldn't do it. And he reported it to Eternals Affairs and they gave yes. him a hard time. And he right. won a lawsuit for 280, uh, from what I understand, $280,000. Yes, yes. But, yeah. I can't remember his name right now, but mm. that just happened recently. No, I think been... it happened, well, it happened a while back. No, well, but no, I mean, I, I think the settlement just happened. Yeah. Settlement was just yeah. recently. Oh, okay, all right. But yeah. uh, you know, Joe, Joe's a humble guy. I mean, uh, Mike, you know this. Uh, to be involved in a shooting in the police department, it's very rare. I mean, most cops, you know, rarely fire their gun. Right. And Joe is involved in four shootings. Hmm. You know, th this is an incredible. You know, that sequence of events going from one to the next to the next, right. good shootings, right. you know, where was he se people's there lives. There was se seven shooting incident, but I had to aim my gun and shoot at others. The other incidents, I had to take cover, <laughs> but I was involved with seven shooting incidents. Right. Seven where you sh you actually fired at. Four, four where I actually fired at. I'm sorry, four, but seven yeah. where you were involved in the shooting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's right there. I see it right but that, there. I mean, that's so rare. And that just speaks to who he is. This guy was Johnny on the spot. He, he was sniffing out crime. And, you know, he, he it was like a magnet. He, he could pick that's it up it. on the it's street, see the way somebody's walking and see the way somebody's reacting and, and jump right on it. You know, super cop is an understatement. Yeah. Uh, my my uh, my uh, captain, my good captain Raymond Bruzzi, would call me in to help out the detectives on homicide cases. And I make the collar. I I go out with them. I knew where to find the bad guy. Right. Even the FBI used to come to the precinct. We need Joe Sanchez looking for this guy. The FBI would come looking for me. You, you know, with, 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 
with all the fraternal organizations in the NYPD, and there are a lot, probably more fraternal organizations in the NYPD probably than any other police department in sure. the country, right? And, yeah. and they're fraternal organizations based on race, religion, um, sexual identity, right. or orientation, you know, um, just a, a, a ton of fraternal organizations. There really should be like a fraternal organization for survivors, you know, for for people that have yeah. that have really been, you know, internally that have that have been part of a system that really turned on them. You know, and again, getting back to what I said earlier, you know, the community and the public, they never hear about injustices that happen to police officers and other other government ser public servants and, and government employees. They hear about, you know, other other high profile crimes and suspects, but they don't hear about situations like this where you had someone that was reporting wrongdoing and then they essentially set him up, you know, um, and, and, and the, sorry, Michael, no, but the, yeah. lately the rhetoric that people like me here are in the news are basically what cops are doing wrong Correct. on the street. What are they do? What they're doing to the I guess normal people? What do you call them? Among police officers, citizens, regular citizens. Civilians. Yeah, you know what? Civilians, civilians, yeah. civilians right? Yeah. So what Come they do? Back. That's what we hear. You know, we don't hear about all of this. So this is going to be definitely news for people who are not in the know. Yeah. Mike, may I say something? Listen, uh, out of the 12 years that I spent with the NYPD, a lot of cops get go to CCRB. They get complaints, civilian complaints to CCRB. Right. CCRB is, oh, hold on, Civilian Complaint mm -hmm. Review Board. Okay. In 12 years, forget about the drug dealers. They were always complaining about me. Uh, they would even call the prison to see if I was working. If I was off, then it, it meant business for them. Because, because, uh, uh, but anyway, uh, I had one complaint in 12 years. One, one. And I'm reading what these even bosses have 40, 50, 100 complaints, 200. I had one. And that's because the, uh, the, the, uh, the guy that was harassing his wife, forcing her to do things she didn't want him to do, uh, when I, we brought her into the prison, he complained. And I went to CCRB and she was there at my behalf. She says, no, this officer protected me. The only complaint I got was one in 12 years, in 12 years. And the reason I did not sue the police department was before Phil Caruso, who was the president, uh, uh, president the of the PDA, yeah. told me, called me at my house, don't do anything. Don't get yourself a lawyer. We're going to bring you back on the job. I had a year to put in a lawsuit, a lawsuit. I would have been a millionaire. Of what they, because of what they did to me. A jury would have said, uh, heard my story, and you got to be kidding me. But I was naive at the time to believe that I was going to be brought back on the job. The statute of limitation expired, and that did it for me. That's the only reason. There's an individual out there that has said this about me. Well, why, why didn't he sue? There's something funny about it. How come he didn't sue? I, because I was conned not to sue because I was told I was going to go back on the job. That's why. Yeah. Well, you trusted them. That, that, that we're focusing on now is when you left the job, you left under the you know, terms nice. of you were terminated. 
But that, after you were terminated, you were exonerated. You were exonerated by the DA himself. That, the that that. Now, here's the significance. You were terminated because of that criminal case. And it's it's called rate it's called collateral estoppel. Once a court makes a decision about something, another court can't go against that. It's already been decided. I'm sorry, so what is it called, Joe? Collateral estoppel. That's once what I an, thought. Once an issue has been, <laughs> once an issue has been decided in one forum, it can't be relitigated. Um, and so it it was like a rubber stamp when the police department fired you. But now that that criminal case has been vacated and you've been exonerated, we need to go to the police department. And there's something called a name clearing hearing that you can do that. Because as of right now, if Joe was to go get a job somewhere and they wanted to seek his employment records, this would be there that he was terminated right. for this criminal act that's not that should not be there and he's entitled to clear his name what we really want to do is because he should have never been fired and he should have never been disciplined in that matter we're hoping that we can bring this even further and i think the climate is here where good cops like joe sanchez who were wronged during this prior administration's and uh, as a whistleblower retaliated, and whistleblowers are retaliated in the worst way. I represent a number of them. And I think the climate is here in New York City, the city council, even our mayoral candidates. Eric Adams is a front runner. The guy's a retired captain on our job. He knows all about this. I, I interviewed Eric years ago and he was telling me when he joined the job i think it was like 81 or 82 when he came on the job he filed a lawsuit because disproportionately black applicants were being disqualified for failing the psych review and he filed a lawsuit so this guy's been in it from the beginning joe sanchez now because of his situation and i think you know even there may have even been a racial aspect to it now appealing, could be yeah right i mean during that time period so i think the climate is right now to correct some of the wrongs from the past and you're right about it michael and vanessa that the focus is on civilians who are being wronged by the police department and criminal justice reform but there are a lot of cops that were wronged cops that were doing the right thing and and really doing the job the way it should have been done and they were wrong so i think they should be restored as well and hopefully this climate you know we can make that appeal and, and prevail right and and uh and, and that's a great summary joe um and and you know to your point too i think back then we're talking you know this was what, late 70s, early 80s, yeah. right? How, how many members of the New York City Police Department were Hispanic? Yeah, it was a different how, how many were, were minority, you know? Well, back, uh, back in the 50s, maybe 60. When I was working, maybe 300. 
now one third, uh, excuse me, yeah, one third, no, is it one third? Yeah, one third of the uh, NYPD are Hispanic. I'd say one it's third. probably even more by now, Joe. Probably, that's a, that's, yeah. That's a lot. But in regards to my case, I should have never, I should have never been, first of all, indicted and arrested. My, it, it was it was nullified. It was like, it, it, it never existed. But because the, the jury found me guilty for assault in the, first, in, excuse me, in the third degree, they have they they arrested me for burglary that I broke into an apartment. Are you kidding me? And I said, where was my partner? My partner was with me. They just wanted me. My and and was your partner, there. Herman Velez, he was never charged with anything. He was never charged. He How is that possible? I mean, the jury. That's to why me, that's if, the obvious. Right, you know, that's why if I had testified in the grand jury, they would have heard the whole the whole story. Well, where's his partner? If this is burglary in the first degree, where's his partner? It was a fiasco, total fiasco. I should have never been indicted. But they found me guilty because see, they thought the jury thought that assault in the third degree was like a, a slap in the hand, like a harassment. They didn't realize. Right. And then they wrote letters. We made a mistake. He's a good cop. Put him back on the job. Right. Uh, so it, it just, but it's a blessing in the sky. Look, I'll admit it's a blessing in the sky. You know why? Because I probably would have, uh, uh, I took the sergeant's exam. If I had gone back as a sergeant, I would have been leading the troops. I wasn't going to back off on the bad guys. God forbid. God only knew, knows what might have happened to me if I if I had come back on the job. I was able to That's become true. a director. No, you, you you never know. The Lord knows. That's uh, true. I got a I got a better yeah. pension. You know, uh, with the VA, they take good care of me. I get a hundred percent. I uh, uh, I I went out to the police department with forty percent. It took me years to get a hundred percent. I got it, and I got a better pension that I would have gotten if I had gotten a, if I had gotten a pension from that job back in 83, 85. So God works in a mysterious way. But as far as- And, and you uh, earned that pension. And, and we thank you on behalf nice. of a grateful nation. Yeah. We thank you and for if, your service. Yeah. Yeah. And if thank you. If Joe can do something for me, lay it out that- uh, I don't want no back pay. I don't want no back pay. I just want to, where it reads, he was retired. It has right. nothing to do with money. It's clearing your name. They broke my heart. I cried when I, I first got arrested. Not out of fear. I couldn't believe that they would do this to me, really. Yeah. And uh, and I, I I knew guys that retired, that these guys, the things they did and they got away. I worked with good cops, don't get me wrong. The average cop that worked on patrol is a good, caring cop. Correct. That's why I was but surprised when you said that you're the lieutenant, the one that had done all those underage girls and done all those things, was able to retire. Because... They didn't touch him because you don't go out. Who was I to go after two bosses? You're not supposed right. to do that in the NYPD or any job, any law enforcement, especially well, especially the NYPD. They cover for bosses. They always did. If they were investigating a cop and it came out that he was uh, connected to, say, a lieutenant or captain, the investigation stops. It mm -hmm. stops. And turn of affairs would stop it because the department from the commissioner up did not want a big scandal. And Joe and I know a fella that uh, could, tell, uh, could tell us all exactly what internal affairs is about. He was internal affairs. Joe knows who I'm talking about. Sure. Yeah, internal could, affairs is, is not what people think it is. You know, correct. internal affairs is... It is corrupt. <clears throat> Internal affairs is really a management tool for the police department. And it's also damage control for the police department. No mayor yeah. or police commissioner wants a scandal. 
And, you know, when you look back at like Mike Dowd in the seven five, they knew about him. They bad, knew about bad, him. Bad cop, bad cop. They did not want that to come out. And they were just, you know, biding their time. It, it's passing the buck from one administration to the other. Yeah. The department does not want scandal, does not want, you know, all this uh, corruption. The Dirty 30, when it came out, it came out because of Walter Mack. Right. Walter Mack was a federal prosecutor. No, Walter Mack is the heir to the Mack truck, you know, corporation. This guy, nobody, he, uh, nobody controls him. Nobody, right. you know what I mean? Like he's an independent guy. So when he's, he saw this, he went after it. Other people, these political hacks, they get appointed that are in this position. They're told, don't you dare do that. Right. Don't you dare expose this. Let it go. Let it right. go. And as a result, Mike Dow was picked up by Suffolk County. How is that possible that our own people couldn't pick this up, that Suffolk County had to pick it up? Right, right. It's yeah. just outrageous. And people don't realize that. That's what internal affairs is. And they yeah. go after guys like Joe Sanchez. Why? Because, number one, he's a whistleblower, and he was reporting and and wired up on a lieutenant and a captain who were very popular and they had people in internal affairs this is how how crazy it is people in internal affairs he was getting wired up to go after these guys they're telling them that's ridiculous and the, and the sergeant that wired me up was the one that locked me up i mean terrible right, right. locked me up he never had a chance and that's why ben ward Let's think about this. Ben Ward does not want a scandal. Joe Sanchez is a danger to Ben Ward. Mm -hmm. Benjamin Ward was the New York City Police Commissioner. Yeah. At he was the, the time. commissioner who had the power after Joe was exonerated him. to put him back. Super he had the power. Who is in the top 10 of overtime uh earners because of his you know super uh, arrest machine he was constantly <laughs> making arrests How, is this ben ward is, still alive no he passed away no he he passed he, he passed away and may i say something one of the embarrassment uh, situation i was when i was arrested joking uh uh can tell you about his he, it was similar to his because when they brought me into central booking one particular girl that I used to work for, she came in, she thought I was bringing the two internal affairs guys in. And she came over to say hello to me when she realized I was the one being arrested. Uh, she just walked away. I can tell she was embarrassed for me. It was very embarrassing because I made a lot of arrests down there and I'm walking in as the perp. And the same thing happened to Joe. Yeah. Right, Joe? It's, it's amazing. I mean, the, when I got arrested, a good friend of mine from the boxing team processed my arrest. He was like a pit bull. He wow. wouldn't let IAB near me. He says, I'm fingerprinting him. I'm going to process his paperwork. He wouldn't let him cuff me. I was in the back seat and he was like escorting me. And Lieutenant and Sergeant from IAB were in the front seat. So when we get to central booking, I walk in, I'm a Manhattan cop. I make arrests there all the time. So they're like, hey, Murray, what do you got today? And I'm not cuffed. So I was like, yeah, I'm the customer today. And they were like, what? I was like, yeah, you know, it's embarrassing, you know, sure. because this is, this. It's, it shouldn't be this way, yeah. you know? Like, Definitely uh, two different perspectives from both yeah. sides. And yeah. it's very, it's a very unique perspective, I'm sure. 
It is. Mm -hmm. It is indeed. And but, and and I hope I hope that you guys keep us keep us posted on this show with you know with the progress um, because I I know this has been a long a long plight for for Joe Sanchez and and I really hope that you know that we can all see this thing get resolved and and his status can be changed to you know officially retired mm -hmm. from the NYPD and uh I want to thank you guys so much for coming on the show thank you and and you know you guys are are always always welcome on my show you're always welcome to come back I mean, we, we really just scraped the tip of the iceberg here. Yeah. I'm telling you, yeah. an hour was not going to be enough. An hour yeah. or two is not going to be enough. <clears throat> yeah. And those stories, I'm going to get those books because it's just so, I feel like you really like Joe, like the other Joe said, <laughs> you skimmed over a lot of things that were, it's like you lived five lifetimes in one life. Yeah. In one life. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Well, like, like I said, working in, working in Sing Sing was an experience. I loved it. I, 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 had, <laughs> I had no fear. I no, I wrote them. When I say oh, this, I, I, I used to make good arrests. I mean, guys that were wanted for murder from the FBI, you name it. And the fact that I was able with my partner, even if I was alone, to make the arrest, to get these bad guys uh, out of the street, send them to prison. I, I, I wrote in my book, it was better than, I'm not trying to be funny. It was better than having an orgasm, really. It was, I, I just felt the euphoric feeling. It was it was great. It was Definitely great. addicted adrenaline junkie. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And I, I, right. I, I, I miss yeah, that job. I really exactly did. I can still do it. About. I'm 74 years old. Yeah. If I was on patrol, I could still do it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's over. I, I got to deal with my nightmares yeah. now yeah. every night. Seriously, my nightmares. Yeah. No, mental health is very important, and I'm glad you're at least nowadays we're able to talk about it more, and it doesn't have so much of that stigma that it had back back in the day but it was a pleasure meeting both of you and hearing both of your stories truly thank you very thank much you. for your service thank you maybe one day will be a Thanks movie you never know. Really i really do think you're onto something scorsese or somebody has to pick up that script yeah. because yeah. really it would be it would be nice they don't need to embellish uh, my shooting incidents and so on so they really happen what happened to me happened they don't have to embellish yeah you. no definitely right no absolutely thank you gentlemen yeah, thank, thank you. Th it. Thank you guys so much for coming on. And again, I want to thank you likewise. And again, I want to mention uh, bluewallnypd.com. Check out his website. Uh, Joe Murray, uh, what's your website? Give us your website. It's jmurray-law.com. J-M-U-R-R-A-Y-L-A-W.com. Fantastic. So particularly for those listeners in the New York area, you got a great attorney up there, Joe Murray. Definitely look him up. He's our new legal consultant on the show. Yes, sir. Okay. God said. Yes, absolutely. So yes. thank God you said. all. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna thank continue you. to monitor this story very closely, very closely. Uh, I, I'm and and I think I'm gonna have some some folks uh, come back on that that have worked internal affairs to to give us that other perspective and, and some of that inside information. We, we did have uh, Billy Nolan on previously who had worked IAB. Uh, I, for some reason, I, I think I had somebody else at one point on the show. I can't remember now, it's been a number of years, 
that had worked uh, internal affairs. But um, well, Billy, Billy Nolan, I mean, he he can tell you so much about it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. that's for sure. That's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. But thank you so much, everyone. Have a wonderful week. And to our listeners, um, you can always now just look up the Michael Calderon show on Anchor and uh, and you can listen to all our previous podcasts. We thank you so much okay. for tuning thank in you guys. to the Michael thank Calderon you. show. Gracias. Thank you very much. Muchas gracias. God bless. Nice job. Thank nice. you. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you guys coming on. And uh, you there? Yes. And uh, again, thanks for coming on. Yeah. And, I'm sorry uh, if I spoke fast, but I'm trying to get everything. No, no, going. you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> and to the listeners, you've been tuned to the Michael Calderon show. We thank you so much. <laughs>